Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Thanks for joining us on Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. If you or someone you know has been looking for a job, then you need to stick around and hear what Carrie Miscavige has to tell you about an upcoming virtual job fair. Carrie, we have been through quite... A long time, months of people's lives changing and so many different things are happening. And now you're doing something with your group that is a little bit different because so many people are affected by a job loss. What's coming up? Absolutely, Paula. And thank you for having me today. We are hosting our very first virtual career fair. You know, the Times Leader is very traditional in hosting real career fairs live in person for over 20 years. And because of COVID and um, the difficult year that we've had, we obviously didn't feel safe or comfortable holding a, uh, a big career fair like we usually do. So we needed to change and figure out a way that we could still help our local employers get new job seekers um, because it's it's a problem right now that our local businesses need help. They need new employees and they are reaching out in any number of ways to try to get new job seekers. So we created our very first virtual career fair and we're very excited about that. What made you decide to try the virtual route? Uh, because again, you know, schools, businesses, probably in your own building, you are so virtual. But this is a little bit different because it's a little bit more personal. So how were you it, able to make the, the transition? Well, it's a very exciting platform that we're working with and the technology is all there. So we're able to actually connect a job seeker with an employer via um, video chat, phone chat, um, however you would do a normal interview, except it's all virtually through technology. And you only need your, your phone. You could do it from your phone device. You can do it from a laptop. You can do it from your desktop if you're in an office setting. So it's easy to do no matter what kind of device that you have. All right. Carrie, I'm a little confused now because, again, there are a lot of people out there who are not technologically aloof. Let's put it that way. Right. right. <laughs> so, all right, it's it's the and when is this coming up? It's the 21st, correct? Correct. We are hosting the virtual career fair Wednesday, October 21st, from 9 a.m. to 6. Okay, so now I've heard Carrie Miscavige talk about this upcoming virtual job fair, and I'm interested. So now it's <laughs> Wednesday morning, the 21st of October. It's 9 a.m. What do I do? 
Well, if you've seen some of our marketing materials, and of course, we've been out everywhere, we're encouraging our job seekers to go to our website to register early, because that makes the most sense. You can go to our virtual career fair website, um, and to register, it's very simple, timesleader.com slash register. All the information is right there sitting on that landing page. It gives you all the directions of what to do. But you want to go on the career fair site early because there are 31 employers listed in that fair that have interview times just waiting for you to go on and log on and set up those times for yourself. So you could set your whole day ahead of time for next Wednesday because there are so many jobs on there available that you can go on, log in, and set the interviews for yourself and plan your whole day. And that gives you just a, a better opportunity um, to find your next job. Wow, 31? There are 31 currently, and we are still adding every day because, as I said, we have a little bit of an issue in northeastern Pennsylvania where our local businesses need job seekers, and we're trying to do everything we can to help them get the help that they need. Along the lines of the 31, and again, I'm logging on Wednesday morning and maybe I forgot because sometimes we do that. So I didn't get a <laughs> chance to really look through everybody that was there. Sure. So what if sure. I do wait until Wednesday morning at nine o'clock and decide, oh, that's right. I forgot about that. That's right. And you can still, you can still join in. There will still be interview times available, but Maybe some of the best times are taken already. So you just have to look through and see what times are still available. And you can certainly schedule an interview with one of the employers. Um, that's not a problem at all. Now, what happens if someone, because when you're in an interview, you usually bring along your resume. What happens yep. if, if something like that is requested? Um, when you go into the career fair and log in, you have the opportunity right there to upload your resume. So your resume can be viewed by the employer ahead of time just to make it easy, just like a regular interview um, with a regular company, you know, outside of COVID. Wow. So you, you really, who put all this together? <laughs> well, it's part of my job to, uh, you know, make sure we're bringing as many opportunities as we can to our local employers and businesses. So it's been a process and it's been such a great one and we're, we're excited to be able to offer this new option. And honestly, I think this is how we're going to do it moving forward. It makes the most sense. Well, it certainly is very convenient. And when, again, when we go back and talk about the employers that are involved, maybe not necessarily with names, but what kind of companies, what kind of businesses are making up the ones that you have that are continuing to add on a daily basis? Sure. Well, they're across the full spectrum. We have um, nursing and medical jobs, a lot of those opportunities. We have a lot in manufacturing and technology, a lot of those. And some of those we want to pay particular attention to because some of them are paying in excess of $25 per hour. So, so you definitely want to log on and, and check out the uh, employers that are there because some of the job opportunities are good. And honestly, now is the time if you're looking for a job to do so because there's a lot of different opportunities. And if we wait too long, 
um, end of the year next year, those opportunities become a lot more competitive. So my thought is if you need a job, start looking now and get involved in this career fair because you could set yourself up for next year, um, support your community, support your family. It's the right time to do so. With the, uh, again, you mentioned earlier about the whole idea that so many businesses uh, took a, a downturn because of COVID. Did a lot of businesses come to you and ask, are you going to do a job fair this year because of the fact that they really do need workers? Absolutely. We heard from so many local employers that said, hey, you know, normally we, we participate in your live career fair. What can we do this year? to make sure we fill our positions because we do count on the Times Leader in their job fair to help us do so. So what can we do this year? And by that point, we had a plan already laid out and we said, don't worry, we're, we're on board and we will help you fill those positions. A lot of the positions too, um, full-time? A lot of them are full-time, Absolutely. So that that means that you're not just looking for part-time, but people who may want even a career change might be worth looking into it. Absolutely. You know, the past six, seven months, people have been um, furloughed or laid off, and it's time to look for that new career or a change in scenery. And so this career fair will certainly offer that opportunity as well. Wow, it really sounds like quite a, an undertaking and something that is uh, going to be quite trendsetting, I think. They'll, they'll be looking to you for their guidance in the future for a lot of different things. So, Carrie, once again, give our listeners the where, the when, the how, and make your pitch. Tell them they'd be <laughs> silly to miss it. All right. Well, if you're looking for a job or career change in Northeastern Pennsylvania, you want to go to timesleader.com slash register, get yourself logged in to our platform, look at all of the employers that are there and the job that they're offering and schedule the interviews. You want to do this between now and next Wednesday. If you wait till next Wednesday, you could still get involved, but those time slots will be Uh, hopefully mostly filled up, but there still will be some time available. And that all takes place next Wednesday, October 21st from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Great. And maybe we'll have to have you come back, not maybe, definitely, and let us know how it all (laughs) makes out. Absolutely. We're very excited about this program. And, you know, there's a learning curve for all of us because it's our first virtual fair, but it's been very smooth sailing And we're very excited about the success of the event. I'd be very interested to hear what some of the participants think about it after it's all over. Absolutely. You know, with a live career fair, they have to carry their table, their backdrop, and so many things with them to set up. And for this virtual fair, they can interview from the comfort of their own office. So there's a ton of advantages to it. Yeah, their feet are up on the desk. (laughs) (laughs) they could be absolutely and and yours are just right now (laughs) (laughs) Carrie always a pleasure (laughs) thank you Paula now joining us John Ochakevich he's the director of Casa of Luzerne County he has an update of what they've been doing since last we talked to him back in February for those who might not know what Casa is what it means what it does can you give us a brief overview of CASA of Luzerne County? Certainly. The 
first with the acronym CASA, which stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate. We are a child advocacy nonprofit organization that serves children in Luzerne County who have suffered abuse or neglect, sometimes both, many of whom are in foster care placement. And currently, there are about 500 Luzerne County children in foster care placement. We are regarded as an independent arm or resource of the court, appointed by the court to one child uh, or one sibling group. Our role is to, as a program, to recruit, to train, and provide support and supervision to volunteers from our community who then become advocates appointed by the court to these children with the intention of assisting it, the court in having more, much more information about this child than the judge would otherwise have, because as I've mentioned, the advocate is appointed to one case, one child, one sibling group, with the intention of providing the judge with information so that the judge can make an informed decision, whether it's about placement and or services, with the intention of trying to facilitate a returned home or a more permanent option, which can sometimes be adoption or uh, with a permanent guardian. But the point is, the goal is for this child to achieve a safe, permanent, nurturing home just as soon as possible. When someone is thinking about becoming an advocate for CASA, what kind of a background do they need? Well, there isn't necessarily a legal background. The three prerequisites are that you'd be at least 21 years of age a high school education and obviously complete all the necessary background without any issues in your past in terms of the clearances. And then we provide the training utilizing a, a curriculum designed by the National Council Organization in Seattle, Washington. What we are seeking in a volunteer is someone who has a passion to want to make a difference in a child's life because the level of commitment is so, so important. The advocate, as I mentioned, about our sibling group, and the expectation is that advocate is going to be spending 10, 12, 15 hours per month, each and every month that that child is in placement, and the case is held open by the court, which could be one, two, we've had some cases, three years. So life experiences are certainly important. The ability to communicate and work with others because our advocates encounter not only children, foster parents and birth parents and social workers and therapists and teachers and judges and lawyers. So it's that ability to be able to communicate both in writing because we submit a report to the court uh, each time the court schedules a hearing and our advocates testify. So it's a combination of being able to collaborate and work with others. It's the ability to communicate, but most importantly, it's that passion to want to help a child at a time in this child's life when he or she is at the most vulnerable, manic experience, and really need one adult who is going to be consistent and committed and compassionate and caring to be that voice for the child in the courtroom and the eyes and the ears for the judge outside of the courtroom. What has COVID and the whole change of way that things are happening because everything that you had done before you were in a courtroom and now that has changed. So how has, how has CASA and the advocates have to adapt in order to make all this work since 
it's still ongoing. Well, the first unfortunate impact of COVID, we were scheduled to have a fall training class with 12 new advocates beginning on March 25th. And shortly before that is when the lockdown occurred because of COVID and we had to cancel that spring training. So that was a huge disappointment. Uh, Thankfully, we were able to start a a new training class uh, in September. It's being done virtually. We have eight advocates that are currently being trained and will complete their training next month. So it's good that we've made that adjustment. We've gone from in-person training to doing it now virtually through through Zoom. The other big adjustment has been obviously with the courts. Right now, the hearings for these children are being done one of two ways, either through Microsoft Teams virtually or telephonically. And so that's another huge change. Uh, that absence of interaction that would occur before, uh, during, and after a hearing. You know, the other thing that we've had to adjust is our contact with our children. We never want to put either a child at risk or one of our volunteer advocates at risk. So, but again, we rely so much on that one-to-one connection with the child and with the advocate that that's been impacted, quite honestly, with, with COVID because we want to make sure that no one is placed in a compromised position. And then lastly, it's impacted us in, in fundraising-wise. We've had to cancel our signature fundraising event, our Casablanca Gala, which is held in September. 400 people attend at the hangar in the 44 airport, and obviously that was not going to happen uh, this year, and you know that raised for us uh, in excess of $100,000. So that was a significant uh, blow to uh, us financially because we don't we don't we don't receive any tax dollars at the, the county, state, or federal level. We rely on grants through foundations and fundraising events like the Casablanca Gala. So we just completed uh, our NEPA Sings event. I think that's when we last spoke, perhaps, Paula. It was uh, is get, wrap, wrapping up for NEPA Sings, but we did that virtually, and that was that was well received, and that that occurred in August. So we were happy to do that event. Uh, even though we're disappointed we could not do Casablanca. So we, like everyone else, we are trying to find ways to navigate through through COVID and, and re-pivot in how we can do our things, whether it's from a fundraising perspective, training our advocates, and supervising our current advocates in the way the court system has, has changed. As adults, we still struggle with COVID because of the uncertainty that's created in our lives. The stress it's placed on relationships, the uncertainty of when it's going to end, you know, and we, and I couldn't help but think how this situation of COVID parallels the unfortunate situation of children in foster care who have been removed from their homes. So they're experiencing instability, you know, impermanence, change, all not knowing when they are going to experience whether it's a return home or not, and when. And so for them, it's almost like living with co-emotional, stressful standpoint. And so it just speaks to the need, I believe, of the importance of having that one adult in their life, our volunteer advocates, who can assist them, cope, help them cope with the stress and the difficulty and the trauma of what they've experienced from an abuse and neglect level as well as a foster care placement. 
So it must be very difficult when you talk about, um, you, you mentioned in the very beginning about the fact that the uh, the advocate class, unfortunately, had to be postponed. What do you teach in the in these types of classes? Again, we follow a curriculum designed by the National CASA organization in Seattle, Washington. So we'll cover it over the course of eight weeks, and each class is three hours. And there's also pre-work, if you will, with each particular subject. But they'll talk about things like the role of CASA, the child welfare system, cultural competence, um, trauma, mental health, social determinants of health, domestic violence, educational advocacy, uh, poverty and neglect. So it touches upon those core subjects that an advocate can expect to encounter through his or her advocacy. But ultimately, the, the advocate really becomes an advocate once he or she has taken a case and what it's, that experience is like to begin that process of advocacy, both in your relationship with the child through the court system. In Pennsylvania, statewide, the average reentry rate of children reentering foster care after they've been returned home is 20, 22%, if you will. It's about 2,200 children. Foster care can be extremely, extremely traumatic for the reasons that we've discussed. But to think about reentering foster care after you've been returned home, you know, that level of trauma. So I think that's an extremely impactful program statewide. And so if, if there is anyone listening who has an interest in becoming an advocate, I would encourage them to you know, to visit our website at loserncasa.org or to call our office at 570-855-2247. We'll be doing another training class uh, in the spring, and we hope that we can increase our number of volunteer advocates so that we can serve more children. Don't go away. There's more special edition to come. Welcome back to Special Edition. Pandemic or not, the friends of the poor aren't letting down their friends for Thanksgiving. The the big dinner at the Cultural Center, you know, I mean, thousands and thousands of people and the food giveaway. How do you do that in a pandemic? So we really thought about that because this will be the 44th year for the dinner and it's a staple in the community and a lot of people depend on it. So we didn't want to just let it go, um, you know, with all the 2020 is thrown at us. So for the dinner, um, we're still going to meet at the cultural center with our volunteers and we're going to pack the hot meal into takeout containers and then distribute it on the corner of North Washington and Vine um, as people can drive by. And then for those adults and elderly that, um, you know, are wheelchair bound or have mobility issues that we typically would bus in, we're going to partner with the uh, Lackawanna County Area Agency on Aging and Meals on Wheels to have meals delivered to them. Do you have any idea how many meals you're talking about? 3,000 still. 3,000. Now, the first thing I think of when I hear you saying that is you might need a few volunteers too, right? How How do people help? We definitely need volunteers, um, but we're asking everybody who'd like to volunteer to either call or email us ahead of time because we still have to make sure we have enough space to spread out and maintain social distancing so everyone can be safe. Uh, so just give us a call at our office or send us a quick email and let us know what your plans are. Will there be the, the family-to-family food distribution, uh, the Thanksgiving food? Absolutely. That'll be the next uh, day, Wednesday, November 25th. We're going to go from 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. But instead of being at the Cultural Center this year, we'll be at Scranton High School so we can do a drive-by as we've been doing for the COVID giveaways where we just put the groceries in people's trunks. Okay. 
final question. If people want to make a donation, a cash, a, a money donation to you guys, how do they do that? And again, well, who do they call or how do they connect with you guys to be a volunteer? So we're asking for monetary donations this year instead of in-kind donations. With the, the takeout dinner and the family-to-family, we need a lot of PPE. We need a lot of takeout containers and things that are unique that we had to order ahead of time. So monetary donations can be sent to Friends of the Poor at 2300 Adams Ave, Scranton, PA, 18509. Or you can donate on our website, fotp-ihm.org. Um, and both of those are great ways to get in touch with us, to e- uh, email us or call us at 570-340-6086 volunteer. Anything we can do at any point to help, you give us a call, okay? Absolutely. Thank you so much. And we want you to stay healthy. Executive Deputy Secretary Pennsylvania Department of Health Sandra Botang says, get your flu shot. This flu season leaves a lot of unknowns. One thing we do know is that the flu vaccine works and protects you from becoming sick. Flu vaccines are already available for the 2020-2021 flu season, which officially started September 27th. Getting a flu vaccine is the best way to protect yourself from the flu. And it is safe to go to your doctor's office, pharmacy, local walk-in clinic, or grocery store to get your flu vaccine. Getting the flu vaccine will not only help you, but it will and protect you from getting severely ill, but it will also protect your family, your friends, your coworkers, and your community. Because of the symptoms of flu and COVID-19 are similar, it may be hard to tell the difference between them based on the symptoms alone. And testing may be needed to confirm the diagnosis. And that brings us back to how important it is to get the flu vaccine this year. It will even help frontline healthcare workers who will be caring for people sick with respiratory illnesses this fall and winter. You can always log on to the Pennsylvania Department of Health website or call 1-877-PA-HEALTH for more information. Now don't go away. Auditor General Eugene DePasquale will introduce us to Esther Bush on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition. How have people's lives throughout the Commonwealth been affected by COVID-19? Pennsylvania Auditor General Eugene DePasquale has been interviewing many to find out today. Esther Bush, President of the Urban League of Greater Pittsburgh. Good afternoon, everyone. Eugene DePasquale here, Pennsylvania Auditor General, and continuing our discussions of the impact of COVID on um, whether it be you know, Pennsylvania, as even some of these other talks have been across the country. And I'm honored to have the legend, Esther Bush, who is here. Um, she is with the Urban League of Pittsburgh, and she is the definition of a national leader, um, a Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania treasure. And we're going to talk about the impacts of COVID um, health-wise and economic-wise um, to um, the people of color. Um, you know, we may talk specifically in Pennsylvania, but certainly I'm sure she knows some national statistics as well. But before we go into that, Esther, honored to have you. Um, really appreciate the time. And um, feel free to, if you could just get, give people a little bit of a quick intro of yourself and then we'll get rolling right into the topic. Sure. Thank you so much. It is indeed my pleasure to uh, be a guest today. The topic that you want to address is so critically important. Um, I am pleased to have been with the Urban League movement now for four decades. 
and here in Pittsburgh for 25 years. And just to remind your audience, the Urban League of Greater Pittsburgh, as is the mission of the other 90 affiliates, is to assist African-Americans to achieve economic self-reliance, parity, power, and civil rights. So the bottom line is we believe in equity as we want for all Americans. And we work to do that every day. And I want to thank you for your support over the years for having a clear understanding of that. And I mean that sincerely. Hey, and I know the last time we talked and, you know, certainly my role as Auditor General, one of the primary functions is education and making sure that education outcomes, again, you're never going to get everyone equal, nor should we, right? There's always going to be people with different talents, but children especially need to have equal opportunity. And one thing, COVID, and maybe talk a little bit about what you're seeing across in the Pittsburgh region, Pennsylvania, across the country, but lower income children clearly are having even greater impact because of COVID, even if no one in their family got it, because if you're not going to school every day, if you don't have the great internet technology in your home, the access to so many of the tools that maybe wealthier kids in suburban areas or even wealthier sections of urban America have, it's created a, another layer of disparity in our education system. Can you talk a little bit about that, uh, how, what you're seeing um, from the Urban League perspective on this? Sure, and thank you so much for beginning with the basics, our children. And here in the city of Pittsburgh, we have issues as I'm sure low-income communities have throughout the state and the country. First of all, when we think about school, of course we think about education. So education is one slice, but missing the meals is another piece and babysitting is another piece. So there's a snowballing impact when we talk about kids not going to school. But focusing on the academic part, when schools say, okay, we're going to school, uh, in school for two days a week, and we're going to use the uh, internet technology for the other three days, let us look at how many of our children do not have access. The homes do not have Wi-Fi. Maybe me and my two sisters are being raised by my grandmother who knows nothing about technology, much less to help me on the computer. And so it really is a snowballing impact. So when we talk about school during the coronavirus area, we really want to dot I's and cross T's about the holistic impact. And just to layer that down some, I'm concerned about the kids' academic growth or lack thereof. I'm concerned about them not having access to Wi-Fi or maybe not having technology in their house at all. I'm concerned about who's in the house to assist them in learning. I'm concerned about, let's say it's a single female head of household whose job has let her work from home, but I can't work from home and keep an eye on a three-year-old and help a seven-year-old. Right. We have to be very realistic 
I'm very concerned about the lack of meals that the school typically has provided, meaning the breakfast and lunch programs. And Esther, if I could interrupt for that, I just want to let the audience know, and this is an uncomfortable conversation for many of us, but the reality is there is a very large chunk of children in the United States, locally here in Pennsylvania and across the United States, that their primary way of getting good meals is at school. That's and so right. They're, and, I, and nobody is happy about that. It's not the school's fault. But when they're not in school, they're not getting many kids good quality food. And you can even say whether cafeteria food is good or bad. I'm not here to make fun of that. I'm just talking about like for many kids, that's their time to get quality meals. And I'm sure that's the case in the greater Pittsburgh area. It certainly holds true across the United States. Exactly. And I think your point is one that no matter how you view the pandemic, I want everybody to not look at just the surface impact, but please continue to go down and see how this snowballs and how it is against especially low-income individuals, people in uh, urban areas, people of color, et cetera. The impact is quite devastating. Now, also another issue that we need to talk about and it is a factor with housing. But in York, where I live, 10% of our students are functionally homeless. It doesn't mean they're sleeping under a bridge. And I don't mean that to make fun of anyone that sleeps under a bridge. We all know there's people that have mental health challenges, and there's a whole host of other issues that go with that. But 10% of our children are functionally homeless in York City. My sense is, just talking to educational leaders across the state and across the country, that that is relatively similar statistically in urban areas, again, across the state and across the country. Walk us through, again, some of the challenge you have when a child is functionally homeless, meaning they're staying with friends, staying with maybe an aunt, something like that what that can do to their daily routine when we all know being, especially I'm thinking about being a teenager now where my daughter's a senior in high school, it's tough enough to be a teenager. Um, when you're, when you're, you're in an upper middle income home and you know, you're going to a you know, good suburban public school, you'll, you'll check all those boxes. It still can be a challenge to be a teenager. Now walk you through when that's like when you're functionally homeless. And um, I am very proud that the urban league of greater Pittsburgh largest direct social service program deals with housing. And so we have contracts to assist individuals, rental, mortgage, utilities. And so to your point, those individuals that come in, they are saying, I'm couch surfing right now. I have two children. It's me. I'm living with my cousin. I have two more weeks to live there. Can you help me? And so it obviously impacts that mother and those two children, but it also impacts the relatives that she's living with. And so, again, the snowballing impact of the lack of independence, of the lack of the ability to find a job and come home back and forth to move from A to B, it is challenging to say the least. And the list goes on and on in terms of the negative impacts that it has on us. And so we need 
support. Those families need support. And final thing I want to bring up to you before we turn it over to questions, because as I, I jokingly say, our faceless monitor, moderator Gary out there who's got some questions for you. Um, the health disparities are also another huge issue. So you got food, you've got housing, and then you throw in the health disparities. We know when you are living in condensed urban areas, you know, the likelihood of getting this virus are significantly increased just because you're closer to people. Um, so when you're in, you know, whether it's an apartment building or something, you know, when you're out in, in an area where you're more spread out, you know, it, it doesn't mean you can't get it. We obviously know that, but the likelihood is decreased. So many of our kids and so many of our people that live in urban America, particularly, you know, in Pennsylvania, the urban areas, it's just condenser. And then, by the way, there's some parts you may like about that, some parts you may not. But that increases the health disparity because more people are likely to contract it. Then you throw into the African-American community more likely to not have health insurance, which thus limits access to health facilities. That has added another burden during this virus. Is that correct? That is absolutely uh, correct. And we, when we look at history in terms of the systemic issues that have had negative impacts on our health care and the fact that a lot of these individuals that you're referencing are our essential workers. And those essential workers have been laid off. Insurance didn't come with their job in the beginning. The fact that they do not have the opportunity to go and get the kind of possibly free supportive help that they would have gotten if they were allowed to go to a hospital or allowed to uh, receive insurance, I mean, receive medical attention from the social services. So it is just so much. Even doctor's offices have said, don't come in, we will see you via technology but I don't have a computer. How do I get the help that I need? And so every single aspect of our quality of life relevant to healthcare has been impacted by this pandemic. And that's why we say that African-Americans right now, the National Urban League has said, we are fighting two major issues, racism, and the pandemic, and all of it is measurable, and all of us can help change that. Now, th thank you for that, Esther. Now we're going to turn it over to Gary, who is, uh, again, he does have a face. You just can't see it on the Zoom call. <laughs> uh, Gary, uh, uh, w welcome back into the discussion. And what question do you have for Esther and myself out there? Thanks, General. As I like to say, I have a face made for radio. Esther, it's so <laughs> nice to speak with you today. A pleasure. Stay Staying on the topic of disparities, a lot of the disparities that have been brought to light by the pandemic have actually existed for years, for generations. Uh, what can be done at the state level to finally help resolve them once and for all? You know, at the state level, I would ask that everything that the state offers, that it be re-evaluated. I'm talking about support for families, for children, employment opportunities, et cetera. It has to be evaluated in terms of, is this something that is built 
on equity so that all Pittsburghers, all Pennsylvanians have equal access? Is it a certain twist or modification that needs to be made so that urban dwellers have more of an opportunity? Is this something that has been set up? When you look at the criteria, well, African-Americans really don't fit this general criteria. So how can we tweak it? Everything today needs to be re-reviewed with an equity lens. We all know there is a great lack of equality in this country. The have and the have nots is how this country was built. And so forget yesterday, let's build on whatever progress we made yesterday for today. Now I can get very specific on a couple hundred issues, but okay. in general, please measure everything from an equity perspective. Great insights, thank you. Uh, as we know, black owned businesses are uh, often keystones of their community and important from an employment standpoint. Do you feel that the first round of federal stimulus aid did enough to help minority owned businesses? And if there's another round, how can that be improved? Well, the first uh, answer is easy. No, it did not do enough because it didn't do what I just explained. And that is meeting everybody from an equity issue. I'm extremely proud to say that Mark Moriel, the president of the National Urban League, has been meeting with the folks in DC, not only to raise that issue, but have written recommendations for how it can be addressed. But let me tell you what else we can do uh, right here in uh, Pennsylvania. I am very pleased to see that there are certain contracts from the county, from the state, uh, from the city that says um, X percentage of your uh, contract should be minority owned and it should be a certified minority owned business. Right. But when we say certified, how much does that cost? What is it that I have to do to be certified? Maybe I cannot afford it. And so maybe during this period of time, we could really embrace minority-owned businesses to say, here's what we're going to do to assist you from a completing the paperwork perspective, from paying um, to assist you to become certified. And let me share just a couple um, stories that have come up for me. I know an extremely qualified businessman that was, he was a recent startup. He could not get the support he needed here, not only in Pittsburgh and the state of Pennsylvania, but around the United States. He had just made very good contact in China. Months into progress, smiling, COVID-19 came in, that relationship was resolved. But let me give you another one. The Urban League of Greater Pittsburgh, we've been doing um, a lot of work, really trying to fill uh, some voids. 
And one of the businesses, minority owned, that we approached to buy some essential products from was so very pleased that we contacted them because their business was going down because they used to be a significant supplier to one of the universities. But now, of course, that university has said, we don't need quite as much toilet tissue, quite as many paper towels, et cetera, et cetera, because the students aren't here. So let us look at the snowballing impact of all of these businesses. Good points, thank you. Finally, for me, you know, we've talked a lot about the hardships uh, that the pandemic has caused. Tell me about what you've seen in Pittsburgh that gives you cause to be hopeful. I have to smile because I first have to think about my own staff and how my staff are essential workers. My staff is assisting. Um, our housing program is my largest department. They've been coming in throughout this pandemic to assist with individuals that needed help with rent, mortgage, uh, utilities, and how they have flipped their entire intake process to make sure they're meeting the needs of the uh, client. That's from the intake process to the referrals out, et cetera. Everything has been changed. And when we look at the essential workers, not just here at the Urban League, but those essential workers are really individuals that make our economy move. I'm talking now about maintenance workers, fast foods, you name it, the list goes on and on. People that we typically take for granted with what they do, but look at where we are as a society without them. And they're called essential workers for a reason. Can we treat them as such? And can we fill the voids of what our systems have really denied them historically. We owe them much more than our thanks. Ms. Bush, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. General, I'll hand it back to you. Great, Esther, thank you so much. I know how incredibly busy you are, but thank you for spending some time with us to share, um, I don't mean even stories, but really what's happening on the ground um, to the African-American community in Pittsburgh. And I am sure it is very similar to our urban areas across the country. And as we again talked about before we went on the air, you know, one thing COVID has taught us or retaught us is that we're all in this together. So the problems for one community impact our entire community. These things are not contained. If there's a problem in one segment of our society, it, you know, it's obviously important we address anyway, but certainly during COVID, we now know that it impacts any of us, every one of us. So and it's Esther, thank everybody's you responsibility. It is not point the finger, why didn't you do right. something? It is each citizen's responsibility to help us improve all Pennsylvanians' quality of life. That's absolutely right. Well, again, Esther, thank you so much for your time. I don't know if you have anything to uh, say in closing before we head off, but thank you for your time. Anything you want to add before we uh, close it out? I think what I just said is we need to own where we are. 
we need to do a great self-assessment. We need to get out and vote. Please, everybody vote and be an educated voter. And we need to complete the census. And so the millions of dollars that come to each community, we can get everything that we deserve. Vote, complete your census, we'll be a better state. Way to end it, Esther. Thank you so much. And to everyone else out there, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for uh, your feedback. So everyone out there, just remember, be smart, be safe. We're all in this together. Thank you and have a great rest of the day. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories, a production of Intercom Communications. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 